Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This week, we're going to hear from an activist and organizer who's working on an issue that is unfortunately very near and dear to lots of people. What's the issue, you ask? The issue is student debt. We learn in part one that Melissa has always been engaged with politics since being a young girl growing up in a family of Irish Catholic Democrats. We also learn that she's never accepted the unjust treatment of poor kids trying to get an education. speaking to today's guest who whom I've never met in person I actually I cannot I can't remember which call it was I think there were like two different calls during and just after the campaign ended in 2020 uh that you were on I think with the super super ball oh or, did you join the call that we had AOC on as a guest yeah yeah Thank yeah, yeah. I was I spoke on that call oh you spoke okay yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. okay and so, I thought your name was familiar from but that was such a terrible week i mean that call was amazing and yes. powerful but it was also terrible terribly it painful was, week. Like, so yes. sad. that's correct but i remember seeing you on the call there because there were different you know uh for lack of a better term officials from the campaign that were on the call and i remember like you gave a you came on and you gave a little bit of a spiel which i because my brain is a fucking fun house so i remembered it and i had no i had zero idea that i was going to be doing this at that time but i just filed that away in my brain so when I started doing this you were immediately one of the people that was just like I, she's got a story and so of course I text Claire like okay I don't remember her name but here's what I do remember the details of her life she spoke to Jesse Jackson he said that her life's work needs to be about eradicating student debt I need her name I need to be <laughs> able to speak with her and you know the yeah. gods agreed and uh, now I get to sit down with Melissa Byrne, awesome. who is a force, particularly in the area uh, that is near and dear to just about everyone in this generation's life, uh, but the student debt um, issue. And we're going to cancel it, right? That's correct. We need a full debt jubilee, full, like full stop. So <laughs> Melissa, I'm I'm honored and out of my mind to be able to talk well, to you Well, I'm so glad to be here with you in person. That's right. Face to face without masks because That's we are correct. vaccinated. That's so this correct. is just like breaking all kinds of new ground. <laughs> That's right. I can only imagine I'm pre-filling in the blanks of like what you're going to say when we get closer to the current moment about how you got to this, um, how you got to how you arrived at your politic and arrived at such like forceful, unapologetic um, stances around, you know, many issues, not just uh, the student debt issue. But I would like to go back to the beginning to understand how a Melissa came to form. Um, so tell me about uh, growing up in your upbringing. I know you said that you were born in California. Yeah. So um, I was born in California mm -hmm. in the Inland Empire. So mm. I was born in well, I was actually born in Arlington, California, but that no longer exists. Um, oh. It was incorporated by Riverside, mm -hmm. so where I was born doesn't exist anymore. Is that an OC, Riverside? Uh, Riverside County. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I lived in Corona and Riverside, going back and forth between the two different towns until I was about five. Uh, for the biggest chunk of time, we lived in a trailer park, a mobile home park mm. um, in Corona, okay. and then... When my grandfather died, my mom and my grandmother decided to move back to Jersey. So I was in a single parent family. So my mom oh, gotcha. lived with her grand her mother and grandfather. Mm -hmm. So it was like the four of us. So you were so from zero to five, you lived with your grandparents and your mother in the trailer park. What was that? What was that like? I what mean, like what was the nature of the or nature of and composition of the community? Like, do you have any waking memories? I mean, what I already remember is like, you know, being able to swim in a pool nice. and like run around on a basketball court. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, there were lots of little kids. So, like, I had a friend across the street. I had a friend two trailers down. And Mm so, for me, it was just, like, I loved it. Sure. Because, like, you don't have the, like, you know, I didn't have a class analysis of, like, a trailer park when you were four. It's just, those are community. Yeah, it was great. Like, I mean, having a pool, having, what what more do you need when you're, like, a toddler? Yeah, like, a pool. Sunshine, a pool, pool. friends. Yeah. (laughs) Orange slices. Yeah, like yeah. that's actually, you know, kind of like a great place to be a little kid. Right on. Did your so is your maternal side of your family, they are they had they been in that area or that part of California so for my grandmother had grown up in that area. Okay. So she was born in Indiana mm-hmm. and then because of the Great Depression, her father ended up um working on WPA projects. Ah. I think up in Mammoth and in and then ended up working as I think it was the pipe fitters union. Mm-hmm. And so my grandparents, uh, my grandmother's family, mm-hmm. and then my grandmother got married. She got married once, and unfortunately her husband died on a oil rig accident Ooh. when oh, she dear. was 19. Wow, she had two wow, little wow. kids and got wow. remarried um, to my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then he was from Seneca Falls, New York. So oh. she ended up, until her kids were all grown up, living in Seneca Falls, New York. And mm-hmm. so when my uncle... He's the youngest, graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, moved back to California because she wanted to go back home. So oh, that's oh, how they ended up out there. And then oh, my mom um, decided that when she was pregnant, that it, because my father didn't, wasn't um, involved, mm-hmm. decided to um, live with her mom and, and father. Sure, sure, so, sure. And then he got, unfortunately, when I was four, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Your grandfather. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Esophageal throat cancer. So he quickly, I mean, the treatments back in the 80s were not great. So mm-hmm. he passed away. And so then my mom's sister and her aunt were living in South Jersey. Mm-hmm. And my mom had lived there for a bit before. And she wanted to move back there. Mm-hmm. So we, that's how we ended up in Vineland. Okay. And Now, do you think she moved back to, to have more help since her father had just passed and presumably Well, my mom never older. really liked California. Really? Why? So what do you it think? just wasn't, she, she grew up on the East Coast. Okay. Like, she's an East Coast girl. Yeah. I got you. So okay. that was, you know, she was very, for her, like she w- wasn't, li- that wasn't her choice to really live out. That wasn't like something where she's I like, I want to go to California and I be there. It's like, sure. she was like, she didn't like the highways. She didn't <laughs> like course. the It's just like, Cal- it's California. Yeah, it's a different energy. Yeah. So she was happy to get back to the East Coast. Uh-huh. And then what also came from the East Coast is that because my aunt worked at, for the state of New Jersey, mm-hmm. then that made it, my mom was able to get a job nice. that had a union. Oh, nice. So things like healthcare. Uh-huh. Are taken care of. And pension yeah. and security so in order you know that kind of stability so mm-hmm. that's like what that really brought her nice what now what was she doing in california like when you were tiny tiny before you guys moved back home back um east? so she was like waitressing at denny's okay so like we would go in there and i i thought it was the coolest thing in the world sure. was to go to denny's and then order from my mom nice I'm like, this is amazing. That's right. She brings me very nice treats. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, I thought it was great that uh-huh. she worked at Denny. So now did you, what was the biggest difference moving and try and think back to your small child mind. What do you remember being the biggest difference between like growing up zero to five in California to when you moved to New Jersey? Like, do you remember any differences? Well, I think a difference, like, I mean, in Jersey, like we have like our, uh, you know, standalone houses, ah, which uh-huh. are like very, like we rented a house at first and then. Well, at first we stayed with my aunt and my aunt and my great aunt um, right at first. Then we rented a house for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then my grandmother bought a house. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then so we all lived. Like, so I think the difference of like, you know, the community that comes from like being like in a mobile home park mm-hmm. versus like a standalone house okay. on like a street where there's not that many kids. So mm-hmm. it's just like that part was different. Mm-hmm. Um and then to me, like home for me was California. So sure. when I was in fourth grade, mm-hmm. uh, fourth grade is like when, like, I think every state in the country, that's when you learn about your state, like you yeah, like your chapter that. on like, but so we were to- given a book report assignment to write and write a book report on your home state. Mm-hmm. So I did mine on California. <laughs> that's right. It's still home. Because that's like what for me was home. And yeah. I was just stuck in Jersey. Yeah. And like, it really wasn't until like, I... You know, like all the way through, it was like, I'm from California. I'm just stuck here. <laughs> That's right. You did the reverse of what your mom did. Like, she always felt like home was like the East Coast, Jersey, yeah. and just like, ugh, okay, I'm here in California. And you did the exact reverse. Huh? Yeah, it was just part of one of the. So, when um, 
I thought I was going to be doing something different in Bernie, but when they were like, hey, we really want you to be in California, Mm -hmm. the reason why I said yes was because it was my first chance to live in California for almost a year as an adult. Oh, nice. Okay. And so that was really powerful to be able to to go back there for a year and be like, I am from here. This is like where like... And to kind of to get that to get that experience. Oh, right on. So, what was what was it like being in New Jersey growing up? Um, I mean, it's like it's it was one of those things where like because I wasn't from the community and like mm-hmm. in Vine, you, you still didn't feel a part of it even like after you know having been there for, from so young. Yeah. So, Vineland is a community that's very much like you're supposed to be from there. Oh, it's kind of um like not territorial. That's not the right word, but uh, it's it's very much like insiders and outsiders yeah huh. and so like i was like never seen as like being like you know like, huh. you know like my family didn't own a farm oh is it so it's a, so it's a okay describe the community so vineland is the largest air, largest city in new jersey by area okay land mass. but not by population gotcha. and so you have um a lot of farmers who were italian so uh, settled by italians uh-huh. was a big part of it um, then there's like a very large Jewish community that does poultry. Mm-hmm. And this is at least like 20 years, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, then there, it was a very, uh, I wish I knew more of the history about the linkage, but um, it's the large, when I was growing up, Vineland had the largest Puerto Rican day festival outside of Puerto Rico. Really? So a very- Bigger than New York. That's it. It was like, it was during the weekend of Puerto Rican fest- festival. It was like the biggest weekend Huh. of the year in town so wow. huge puerto rican community um huh. and then but it's largely agricultural like the 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 economy of it's like Vineland. ag where there's there was there also used to be manufacturing gotcha so you, you had both and then like a large african-american community uh-huh. and like the high school was 30 percent black 30 percent white 30 percent um puerto rican uh-huh. And then ten percent of like different groups. Oh wow! Um, honors program was basically hundred percent white. Sure, of course that's um, how it is everywhere. Not just white, but like white from like the wealthy part of it's called East Vineland. Mm-hmm. So there were very few people who were like weren't from the wealthy part of town. Got you. That w- were there, and you were marked as an outsider because you weren't Puerto Rican. You, or I mean, you still yeah. are not Puerto Rican, but you you weren't a part of the the kind of like decades long or centuries nope. long like Italian families. No, that yeah, so it's the just this, yeah, it was very uh-huh. much like, what's your connection to here? Huh? Did you? Well, do you have any formative memories, or stories of? Of like being keenly aware of being a quote outsider, even you know, it was just more that like you know you're just not from the area. Like, you okay. don't have like you know the ten million cousins and oh I see I see I see I see and like all the siblings in school and huh. like you know I went to like a Catholic school K to four and so you know like being in a single parent like nowadays single parent it's like people don't even blink about a single yeah, parent yeah. family but mm-hmm. you know in the eighties that was you know a very different kind of like oh you're you don't know your father like here he's not a part of you know like that's just like you're just kind of judged a little bit for that Hmm. and did you do you think looking back did you formulate kind of a personality like in response to that kind of feeling like different or in my words maybe not yours like less than because of your family composition and I think it's more of like for me I was just always aware of like you know keenly rooted in like justice Ah, and like because people shouldn't be treated the way I'm treated I don't know about me per se, but I think like, I think maybe one thing, cause like you have like, I just took a lot of like, you know, you're in kindergarten at a Catholic school, mm-hmm. you're getting these messages to be good and to like, you know, the beatitudes yeah, yeah, and yeah. that. So I took that stuff like very literally. Okay. So right. I think a big part of like, I think that was a big part of it. And then, you know, like we always watch the news as a family. Huh. And so like, I remember like, you know, the we are the world ah. stuff and like you know and when i was in california we would always go like on the disneyland ride like it's a small world uh-huh and like obviously there's so many critiques that can be made sure, of of course. Stuff. Yeah, just yeah. to like name that but just that kind of you know and like we like, i watched a lot of like mash mm-hmm. with my grandmother and like you know developing like very young critiques of war huh. and stuff like that so it's just like it just from like you know i think media consumption and mm-hmm. then just like a family that's you know, democratic and labor yeah, and like that's part of it. And then, you know, in the middle eighties is when the environmental movement started really popping off. Yeah. And so, I mean, I definitely, you know, followed all that. And then my mom was the Girl Scout troop leader with my friend's mom mm-hmm. and all of those like tasks that you learn for badges are mm-hmm. very helpful in terms of like developing skills, that's like right. following a list, doing these things yeah. and 
that was like a, a big part of it. And then protest movements. And then you had, I remember like seeing images from like ACT UP on TV and really all of the um, images around like the development of like people fighting against what was happening with AIDS. Yeah, that's right. And I was like obsessed in 88 with the presidential race. And I was so devastated when Dukakis lost. Really? Wait, so, so, I'm, so am I understanding you to say that you, you were, you were keenly aware of your family's, I don't know what the word you want to use, political ideology or party affiliation. Like you, you understood you all yeah. to be like labor. Like we were Democrats. Democrats. Yes, definitely. And uh-huh. then I remember like being four uh-huh. or five, I think it was probably five when Mondale and Ferrara ran yeah. and being excited about a woman being on. Huh. Did you, so did your mother and your grandmother and your aunt, did they discuss the, like kind of the happenings of the day with you or you heard them discussing it? I mean, like, like we would talk here. about everything together. Uh-huh. Um, and then I remember when I was nine, like for Dukakis race, I like, had my grandmother drive me to the Democratic headquarters to get a yard sign. Really? So while yard signs don't vote, they are a form of engagement. Sure. <laughs> I know yes, that that's, that's like a huge fight on campaigns. Like yard signs don't matter to get, yeah. they don't, but they also do matter yeah, because that's right. like I, it shows the I was very excited to go get a yard sign yeah. when I was nine that's and right. look where i ended up <laughs> like that that's little right. you know little engagement right <laughs> little habits right help uh, okay what was your understanding of of like the broader community's kind of political bent or kind of political activity like did you feel like you and your family were kind of off to the side like we are different politically than many of the other people in my community or we are reflective of um, the politics of this community. The community also like switched like when until I mean pre ninety four like the when all the Republicans did the big switch because of Gingrich's being horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, like we had a Democrat, there was a Democratic Congressperson up until ninety four, uh-huh. and like we had New Jersey had Democratic senators, mm-hmm. and then we had I think some it was like a mix between Democratic and Republican governors, mm-hmm. but. Um, oh yeah, I remember, I think, what was it? Um, in fifth grade, the governor came to my elementary, my middle huh. school uh-huh. and I went, I, I, we got to like write questions to be able to ask. And I got picked for the fifth grader to ask a question. What did, do you remember what you asked? I asked him, um, if he would, I think I asked about whether or not, um, you should be able to ban burning the flag. Hmm. And what was your position? Do you think at the time? Um, I was definitely against banning flag burning. Oh, okay. And what did he, do you remember his response? I think it was kind of like mealy. Like he hedged. Yeah. I think he also wasn't expecting a 10 year old to ask him about burning the flag. wanted a question about like ice cream, his favorite ice cream flavor or some, some, something trivial. Yeah. Yeah, Hmm. So that was a a whole, that was exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That was fun. Stand in front of the whole school and ask a governor a question. Nice. Those little, again, these little engagement things. Who knew I'd be then training people to yell questions at electives to get them in trouble. Do you, do you now like reflect back? Like every, like, do you think that there was anything other than what you are that you could have been based on like your memories? Looking I back remember what, I was very close to going to medical school. And so like, I remember really? my, um, my, 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 my 12th grade AP bio teacher wrote in my yearbook, I had like the hands to be a surgeon, uh-huh. but like my heart was like in the politics, huh. but you could do either. Okay. So, but you didn't, you didn't, you, you didn't, you didn't already see that for yourself as a small child, like the the political thing. No, I mean, I always thought I'd be a doctor, but that's also like when you're little, you're told to be a doctor or yeah, a lawyer. Yeah, liar. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Like, Interesting. Like, oh, you're going to grow up and like help people get arrested. Like, that's just not, that's <laughs> just, at least not, maybe in some like upper middle class family. Yeah, that's right. Who can afford bail? Persuasion, yeah. Like that's like yeah. something huh. like my friend's kids. That's what my friend's kids think about doing. Yeah, that's, that's right. not something like in a working <laughs> class family. No, 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 absolutely not. Did you, did you at all growing up, have any sense of class standing you you said that zero to five you were living in a trailer park with uh your family you didn't really have a class you know analysis or understanding it's just you know i'm a kid i have fun i have a pool i have a basketball court i have sunshine i have friends life is good but did you at all i guess after moving to new jersey ever develop a sense of class or did you think that most people more or less lived like you no i mean there was definitely like you know there was like the good part of town and the bad part of town what marked them um, basically like my street was kind of like part of one, one of the dividing line streets. Uh-huh. And so 
Um, but definitely like the farther you got like east is like where you had like that's like where the wealthier was and like wealthier part of town with and that's where like the middle school that had more resources Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. um versus other ones and you could definitely like the middle the middle schools are where like class was like both like classism and racism Mm -hmm. were you know intertwined Uh as they usually are in terms of like uh, i bet if you looked back at the number of slots in the gifted programs Mm -hmm. you would see smaller based on like you know, Rossi probably had the most slots for gifted. Mm-hmm. And then Memorial, I was at Memorial. And then there was DePolito and Landis. Mm-hmm. And so Memorial was basically like, like Main Road divides, I think, east of Main Road is East Vineland. Mm-hmm. And so Memorial pulled from both sides of Main Road. Mm-hmm. So you had um, a, a bit mix. more of um, class diverse mm-hmm. of a school. And then the other ones were, you know, Landis was probably the poorest, and then DePolito was next, and then Rossi was like the wealthiest middle mm-hmm. school. Do you have Do you have any formative memories about how you started to understand class and or race, like in middle school around that? Time? Yeah, so a couple of things. Like one, so in I trans in fifth grade, I transferred from Catholic school. Okay, I was in Catholic school from K to fourth. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, I'm at a private school. I'm fan. Like, there's definitely the sense of like the teachers, and when I was at like, Catholic school, would you know speak neg- like today's CCD day. Mm-hmm. That's the day those public school kids are going to be sitting in your seat. So make sure you take away really? anything that you don't want to have stolen because you know the public school kids. Wow. So there's like a haughtiness to your to the the to the environment. I guess of your yeah, Catholic school. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So that that was and part of like that's why like, I didn't fit in there. That's part of like why we switched to public school. Because you didn't like you were you didn't like it or your your mom didn't like it. Well, I didn't. I just didn't fit in there. It just wasn't. What do you right. mean when you say that? Like I was like the you know like they were cliques. They were just like again like very narrow minded. Oh, it's just like not where I mean I had friends, but like I wasn't like it just wasn't. I had a really mean teacher who mean how? Well, one her daughter was in the classroom, Ooh, so she got special treatment. Yeah, and like her friends were treated better, mm. and so it was just like a very complicated. Mm-hmm. So I switched to Memorial, mm-hmm. which I had a great fifth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got like all A's for the whole year, except for one B in English. Mm-hmm. Not that I remember my grades from fifth grade <laughs> or that I was Not like. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> um, and then I think I came in second for this. Con- you got a sticker every time you got a hundred. Mm-hmm. So like I was very competitive to get all the hundreds. Sure. The gifted program mm-hmm. was basically a set of sides for kids from the wealthier part of town. Huh, huh, huh. And so even though I had, you know, straight A's yeah. and good test scores, uh-huh. they said I I didn't meet the qualifications for the gifted program. Really? But like in my school district, because they did like very, very, very tight tracking uh-huh. of programs. So if you weren't in gifted in sixth grade, mm-hmm. you couldn't take the test for pre-algebra. If you oh. didn't take the test for pre-algebra, huh. you couldn't be in pre-algebra in seventh, which yeah. means no algebra in eighth. Yeah which means you can't be in the honors program in high school. Wow. So basically your entire academic trajectory prepping you for college Uh is decided upon what the decision they make about you when you're 10 10 or 11 years old in fifth grade. Wow, that's egregious. Uh And not based upon like aptitude, based upon like how much work you want to do. And like I remember thinking like, Talking to people, well, give me a chance to fail. Yeah, like, I mean, what's but the- were you aware of that at the time? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, okay. I was, I was livid. My mom was livid. And there was nothing. There was no parental intervention or anything. No, that so could during change the summer, it? as soon as I saw what, um, where my assignment was for homeroom, uh-huh. I knew I wasn't because the gifted kids were in a suite. Ah. So the way my middle school was, fifth grade was on the ground level floor. Mm-hmm. Sixth grade was in the basement, and they had a suite of two classrooms in a suite together for the gifted kids. So uh-huh. they were in their own little space. Yeah. And then seventh and eighth grade were on the third floor of the mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Um, more or less is how they divided it up. Cause it's also, it was fifth or eighth. So they're like weird ages to have like yeah, all together and all together. Um, and then, so I basically quit doing schoolwork for, wow. for, cause you saw that how you had already been slotted. Yeah, so when in that fall, so you know, this is so in the fall when I went back to school, I was like livid. My mom like literally spent half the year arguing with the school board to be like, yeah. how come I wasn't put like where I would do well? Right, right. And then I just I quit doing schoolwork. Wow. And went on like basically a strike. Huh. And then finally they relented and they put me in the honors, the gifted program. How long did it take for them to relent? 
half the school year. Wow. Like so, like after Christmas? After Christmas. Wow. Okay. I think in January, I think maybe February, they might have switched to me. Uh-huh. And then I went to straight A's. So I was at, I was at, and then because of that, Spanish language started for the gifted kids. So I missed out on Spanish. Sure. So I didn't get the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so my, my grades immediately went to straight A's, mm-hmm. even though I was half a curriculum wow. year behind. Uh-huh. And then- I took the test for pre-algebra mm-hmm. and passed. Yeah. And, but basically, like, there were all these other – the way they did these limits in terms mm-hmm. of, like, they did a very strict, like, tracking program mm-hmm. that was definitely, I think, used to make it so you had a private school setting for, like, the privileged mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. And then in eighth grade, I was a guidance aide, and I would hear the conversations, and then I just noticed a pattern of how – you know, the students of color were being, for the most part, pushed for high school to take the general classes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A mix of mo- mostly white kids, but some students of color were being, would get pushed for the college prep classes. Uh-huh. And then mostly white students who yeah. were already in gifted were the ones that were put into honors. Yeah. And so you could see this and like you would have people saying, well, I want to try harder classes in high school. And they were told like, oh, no, no, you probably can't do them. And it's just like, why are we setting these artificial caps? And yeah. It, that was your thought at the time. Yes. Uh-huh. And it was just like watching that and like seeing the difference of like who's being told what they could do. Yeah. And then like in the high school, it was the same way. So like in terms of this stratification, like mm-hmm. we had, I think it was seventh, 11th grade American history class getting in an argument with people saying that it's like really racist that the look at our classroom like basically everybody in here is white mm-hmm. and that's not reflective of our student body population yeah, and like yeah. someone's like well, no they just don't want to do the work and I'm like or they don't have the talent and I'm like no that's no, not that's how not it works it. Yeah. like it's these are decisions that are being made that are creating this environment right now did you because this oh happened, and then zero uh-huh. tolerance was starting which how did that manifest where you went to school um it was just like very strict so it's like very much like in as things are in like you know areas where you have like higher poverty my school district was also an abbott school district i don't know what that means so there was a supreme court case that was brought on behalf of a boy in camden Mm -hmm. saying that because of property the way we funded school districts through property taxes Mm -hmm. he was being denied the education he deserves Uh and so it went all all the way to the supreme court and the supreme court ruled in his favor. So New Jersey actually has, has to give extra money mm-hmm. to poor communities yeah. to rectify what's in just uh, the inequities of property tax funding of, mm-hmm. high, of education. Mm-hmm. So violence in Abbott district. And I just like, I would argue with them that being like, they're making decisions about what kinds of students and what kinds of people that can be educated and who yeah. has the right. So that was definitely something that I would say and with zero tolerance, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, if you missed a few days of school, you couldn't do sports anymore. Uh, or you couldn't, um, you had to do like in-school suspension or you had to do like, kind of like in the breakfast club, like yeah, yeah, makeup yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. Like I remember I was, I was sick a bunch, I think sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So I got, I had to do makeup time. Pol- yeah. I think it was called policy time. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to school on a weekend and just sit in a classroom and do nothing. Come on. Um, To make up my policy time. And it's just very much like. I remember this one kid. So here's one thing that happened. So a friend, a call, a friend, he actually, it's really sad what happened to him. He was from a poor family. He was white, mm-hmm. uh, but from a very poor family. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really smart and he was in honors mm-hmm. and he got caught with weed on him or something. His fr- Maybe like the first half, fr- first month and a half of freshman year. Mm-hmm. And so they suspended him from school for three weeks for weed. Wow. So then of course he was behind. So yeah. then he was taken out all of his honors classes wow and then like i don't even think he finished school and then he ended up dying of an wow. overdose oh my he was God. like 20 or 21 leaving behind two kids wow. and it's just like one of those things like if he was like at choate or lawrenceville prep or you know whatever super super fancy boarding school that he will the yeah. elite they would have swept it under the rug. Yeah. And so it wouldn't have been you a have a standard of punishment in schools that if you're poor, mm-hmm. and especially if you're like a poor student of color, yeah. you get your education taken away from you for That's an, right. infractions. As, as a and punishment. Then, yeah. And then it becomes that much harder to keep up and yep. stay engaged mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at it. So you have like what a, four, a child, like a 14-year-old yeah. child right. has weed on them to yeah. be like, 
okay, like no mercy. Is this an addiction issue? Right. Is this a money issue? This is is he trying to make money for his family? That's right. Like, what's the issue that's going on here? Like, right. why is it that you're just gonna like basically punish someone and like ruin their whole life right. or like set them on a course to have like their life cut short? That's right. Um, for this nonviolent offense. Yeah. 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 No, it's like absurd. And like you know, you had security guards and police probably. <laughs> Um, I think like not that much police. Like we didn't have um we didn't have metal detectors. Although okay. I mean we always had bomb threats and stuff. And like that's mm. also like you wait, know, wait, 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 wait. You can't just speed past what do you what the fuck do you mean? You I always mean, had we just bomb always threats had, I mean, and stuff. People would like always call in bomb threats. It's just like a thing. Like that was routine? Yeah. Just, you know, okay, I really wish everyone could see her face. Right. Yeah, we have bomb threats and stuff. No, or like people know, blah, blah, blah. would, and like here's the other thing. Like there would be like knife fights. What do you mean? But knife like, fights? Yeah, but amazingly, you didn't have to shoot someone to break up a knife fight. Yeah, I mean, say, yeah, I that's fair. Saying, like, <laughs> I mean, like, fuck, I guess. I just, it's like, wait, we had two unarmed security guards that would just break up kids knife like with knives i'm like <laughs> what is this I west just, side story get out of here <laughs> i just know that's the thing it's like you look at these cops that just like shoot people i'm like they need to go to like yeah like de-escalate yeah so right, that's the other just... part it's like you see like the cop i'm like wait these cops wouldn't have survived five minutes mm. in my high school no no but no. my high school also violin did this really dumb thing for the high school when they because violin had a population growth in the 70s mm-hmm. So instead of building another independent high school, mm-hmm. they built a high school on the same campus. So mm-hmm. we had a 910 building uh-huh. and an 1112 building. Meaning, what does that mean? So like we have a campus. So it's like you have down here is the 910 building. What does that 910 mean? Like it Nin- starts at 9th and 10th it's grade? Ni- it's just 9th and 10th graders. Oh, oh, oh. So you have 14 and 15 and 16 year olds all in the same building by themselves. No. <laughs> no. And it's designed by the person who designed the building in the late 70s was a prison architect. So it's literally. God damn. Okay, no, no. sure. Sure. Oh, no, there used to be cat towers. What? Yeah, so they basically, they had, it was four wings, like a prison, like four, and then. Why? You had catwalks that would connect the wings. And then on the back side, on the front side, there was like a tower where you could like watch people from because it was designed by a prison architect. And that was just perfectly <laughs> reasonable. Yep. And then the 11, 12 building is the more traditionally designed, like typical. Not high like school. a prison. Yeah. And some people would have, they, had, they would have a bus that would go between because I, I you could either walk or go between because some people had classes in both. Yeah. I think since I've graduated high school, I mean, it was so long ago now, they've done all these different experiments with the campus mm-hmm. and every fad of school movements that have gone through it. But um, yeah, so I was in that. one building for two years and the other building for two Being years. Being watched with, through, a, through a scope in the 9 10 building. Yeah, so that was... Uh, <laughs> That's so but absurd. I mean, it's definitely a lot because like you can see like, you know, like in, in one hand being in an environment that is like racially diverse and class diverse. Sure. Which in some ways could be if it was done under the right circumstances of like equity yeah, could be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But instead it's very much like if you win a certain lottery, you get to have the best. And then otherwise you're just told that, and we would always be told it's like, well, college is going to be hard. They're not going to treat you well, or you have to be on time. You have like all of this, like very much like, and I learned and then more of this, I learned I took an, ed- an education policy course in college mm-hmm. where I learned the word tracking. Yeah, yeah. Like we would say, well, we have these tracks, but mm-hmm. I ne- didn't know the term, the, edu- the, the, the term of tracking. I see. Or that it was like a philosophy. Yeah. Baked into how. Or this the- idea that like what happens is poor kids are being, are taught to be workers through the education system. Yep. Middle class kids are taught to be middle managers and mm-hmm. rich kids are taught to be the leaders and the CEOs yep. and that's reflected in education. Yep. And that like really, when I learned that in college, that really clicked. And hmm. Because you, because that, that matched your experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like me having the audacity to be like, no, I want to be in gifted. I'll do the work. Like yeah, I want right. to be here. And- but wait, but here's, here's what I wanted to ask you when that, when you were initially, you know, locked out of, uh, uh, being uh, matriculated, yeah. that's not the right word, in having given entree yeah. into the gifted program, even though you had straight A's, you had great test scores. How did you situate that? Did you, how, how did you understand that happening? Did you understand, was it, you know, I am not from East, I'm not from the East side of town. And, you know, those are the people that are encouraged or allowed to do this more readily. I, you know, I'm 
from a single parent household? Like, how did you situate that? I think it was just more of like, you know, like I wasn't from, because then there was at that same year, like you, there were girls that had transferred from the same Catholic school I had been Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. and they were transferring in for sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And they were able to go right into gifted. Oh, without yeah, without, and they were like from like you know more fight. affluent, more like that kind of stuff. So, but did you? But did you? You connected that like I am not as affluent as these people, and that's probably yeah. Has something to do I think with. that, and I think that's something we talked about mm-hmm. um, as a family, and so that kind of like who gets picked for that. And mm-hmm. So it was definitely like, um, really fun. And like the thing is, like the other kids in my class, like my homeroom or my because sixth grade, you're still in the same classroom all day long. Yeah. They were like, you should be there. Hmm. <laughs> That's where you should be. Really? The, up until the after Christmas when you got to be. Yeah, no, yeah. they were just like, why are you? Why aren't you in gifted? That's huh. where you belong. Huh. Did that experience reinforce your the fidelity to justice that you began to get in Catholic school? Or did it, yeah, or did it, no, did I think it engender it a chip on your shoulder? No, I think it definitely, I mean, I think it was a bunch of things. I think it was like a thing where. I have to like fight to be where I'm supposed to be. Ah. That kind of thing. And uh-huh. like. Had you always felt like that or did you start to really feel like that at that point? Yeah. Cause I think that like just being like told that you, you're not supposed to be there or like that, mm-hmm. you know, I play, I did everything I was supposed to do. It's mm-hmm. like, I got I straight A's. Yeah. I'm like, not just straight A's. I got hundreds. Yeah. Like yeah. I was like perfect, which is like, again, like, should we really be telling 11 year old girls they have to be perfect? I mean, yeah. there's other. <laughs> of course. That's, that's problematic in and of itself. That's but... a different problematic thing yeah. Yeah. for a different kind of podcast. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. And so that was like, definitely like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also just like what was coming, well, the thing that kept coming back to me is that these caps are artificial. Yeah. Like, shouldn't the issue be, whoever wants to do harder work yeah. can try it. Yeah. And the worst that happens is that they don't do well. Yeah. And then you can re- you can shift them over to the other appropriate curriculum. You don't need right. to have these artificial caps. Mm-hmm. Like it should be based on what you could do well. And also shouldn't it be like, maybe you're excellent in math. Like, shouldn't you be able to go as far as you can in math? Yeah. And then your other areas that maybe you're, you're not the best at uh-huh. be like, that's okay. Yeah. And like, what do you need in terms of this like, all or nothing. Yeah. And then it also, the gifted program, it wasn't designed, like other school districts do, where if you're like gifted, it's like you get IEP, independent or whatever the IEP stands for. Mm-hmm. And it's a curriculum that's actually designed for meeting the needs of like that student. And yeah. my school district gifted was just doing the year ahead's curriculum. Mm-hmm. I see. Would you would you describe for, for the, for those lucky enough to uh, be given the chance to be in the gifted, um, be on the gifted track in starting in sixth grade where you grew up, would you, how would you describe the quality of your education? Like, was it, was it, even though it was gifted, was it like, meh, or was it like an excellent education? How would you describe it? I mean, I think it was like a mix. Like some, <laughs> some things were great. Some things were met. I think like, I, I think a lot depended upon like the teacher. Uh-huh. Like you still had teachers who like, I remember like, I think it was like algebra two where, like, not only did they want us to, like, they, like, she wanted everybody to take notes in the exact same way. Uh-huh. And so you had to, like, list things out in one column on the back. You had to, like, fold the paper in your notebook in half. Huh. And you had to take notes here, do homework here, and then do problems that's on the other side. And, like, I can't do that. Like, that's, no! just not, that's not how my brain works. Yeah. Like... But she wanted to force you and everyone had to follow this method. Right. Which uh, didn't help me. And like, I remember I would get so frustrated. Like I just went to the homework. So I would get like, again, like hundreds on all the tasks. Yeah. But then like, I just thought it didn't help me doing it. Like this whole, like you have to conform, (laughs) you have to conform to like their way of doing it. Like I just couldn't do it. So I'm like, well, I'm not doing it. Like, and I think that was like a problem in terms of like, instead of like understanding that like people learn differently That's right. and like what is the thing is like is the purpose of schooling for people to learn mm-hmm. figure out their own systems yeah. or is it to just like conform to how other people want you to do things right hmm. now how would you describe the quality or lack thereof for children who weren't able to get into the gifted program of your school system was it just was it very just not worth a damn I think it was a mix. I think like they did try to like meet students like where they where they were. Like we had um uh we had like a pregnancy wing. One more time. <laughs> so we had a pregnancy wing. Huh. So yeah. For students? Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, people started getting right, pregnant girl. in middle school. So what? Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I think sixth grade okay. was the first student, okay. first I'm, year that we had to get pregnant. So sixth grade. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, I mean, that used to have it just that's such, that's such an absurd idea now because but that did used to be way more kind of like teen pregnancy. But like, whoa. Yeah. Mm, yeah go, I'm sorry. Late, I'm eight, late, late 80s to mid 90s. Yeah, that's right. It was like a wild time of it. Yeah, that's right. They didn't have Netflix. So that's yeah, just what happens. But <laughs> Yeah, they didn't. They, they actually saw people in person. They weren't just at home on their phones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Talking, they had, they had human interaction back yeah, then. Right. Uh, now these kids today just hang out on, on TikTok. Yeah, but the pregnancy wing. Mm-hmm. Wing, meaning whole section of school. Yeah, so like, well, one, it was like one, you had the option if you got pregnant to take classes in a different Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But they also had a daycare. Yeah, uh-huh. There was CAD for like computer assisted mm-hmm. design. Mm-hmm. So you had, you know, they were actually meeting a lot of different needs. Okay. Um, so it wasn't all trash if you didn't get into magnet. No. And you had, you know, they had, um, you know, we had a class on Holocaust studies and we had like, oh. a class on, um, shit, what was the, I used to know the name of it, Conscience of Man. Mm. And it was the, it was a half year course with an elective junior and senior year where mm. um, it's uh, the first quarter is all about injustice in general. Mm-hmm. And it was actually in that class where we were talking about Native Americans hmm. and they used the G word to talk about it. Genocide. genocide. Oh, wow. And I remember I was 16 and I was like, what? Americans committed genocide. And it was just this like, and I'm like, oh, Americans committed genocide. But it was like one of those things like at 16 to confront that like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That your country is imperfect. Right. Yeah. So that's actually, so now I'm just like, oh yeah, of course. Like you see, maybe like all of these like, fuck ups and who are freaking out about critical race theory if they just would have learned when they were 16 yeah. that like americans committed genocide yeah against native americans right this wouldn't would be, be like, so scandalous yeah so yeah. that was like part of it and i think like having that kind of and that was a curriculum that was developed and passed by like parents in that community because hmm. we had a lot of holocaust survivors oh wow settled in vineland oh okay okay I got and you. so the um the guy who funded and helped raise all the money for the Holocaust Museum in DC, mm-hmm. in DC was actually from Vineland. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so that was um, so that was and then like they had um, I didn't take the classes and I kind of I wish I would I would have, but we had like a history of Puerto Rico class. Oh, right we had on. A, uh, African American history class. Okay, nice. Uh, Hispanic history class. So that part in terms of like those electives and a lot of times those spaces would mm-hmm. then just be students from those backgrounds. Uh-huh. Which the students from those backgrounds, I think, really appreciated having that space yeah. in in school. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. they did. I mean, it wasn't – it's, like, for being an underfunded community, mm-hmm. um, I think it was, like, the teachers, like, really, you know, pushed really hard. I was in a class sophomore year, and I audited it again in 11th grade mm-hmm. called Viewpoints mm-hmm. that took students purposefully. It was comprised of one-third was honors kids, one-third was general – one third was college prep mm-hmm. from all different backgrounds to base huh. it, and then you just talked about contemporary problems. Oh wow! Okay, all right. So, so it was it wasn't all uh, it wasn't it wasn't an all or nothing, just like just separate and unequal, like within the school system. There were like redeeming aspects. Yeah, of yeah. I mean, I think that there were, were yeah there were definitely challenges, and there the ways that you know were endemic in education of that time period, sure, and sure, are still sure. endemic, but. Yeah. Within that, I think teachers fought really hard to like be creative, yeah. to push. Like we had um, photography classes. Mm-hmm. The one thing about my school was you got a higher class rank if you didn't take lunch because you got more points added to. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So none of us took lunch. None of the honors kids took lunches. To be able to get a higher ranking. Yeah. What did you, so you just were just hungry? I don't. You just eat crackers between classes. I don't. Okay, I think you, I didn't realize I probably missed out on a whole bunch of important critical social development skills. That <laughs> sure. When you're sitting, but yeah. So then that way I was able to take photography all four years. Huh. Okay. All right. Um. <laughs> you had to sacrifice lunch. I just so I, I had to sacrifice lunch. That's so absurd. Okay. Um. Did you now when you left? You said that you were. It was a t- your your one of your teachers like thought that you were either going to be a doctor and you for a long time through your childhood thought you were going to be a doctor but did you were you kind of were you being pulled into the direction of politics or were yeah you- i mean my senior year of high school i was like volunteering on a governor's race i was like interning my in between junior and senior year of high school i went to dc for a week for one of those week-long programs yeah, yeah, yeah i saw yeah. a flyer in the hallway and applied for the program and 
got in. So I, Why do you think you were so captivated by politics at such a young age? Looking back. I mean, I think part of it, I think it was just that this is like a way to like do things and to like make change. And like I had a column in the school, in the town paper and I was like also in eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade and high school on the school paper mm-hmm. and kind of. And, you know, I like to talk. But you, okay. So your, so your desire, you, you like to talk and this was you, your perception at the time was this is an arena to be able to do things and or affect yeah, change. And I think like one of the things like, you know, in terms of like how media influences things, like we, you know, Peter Jennings would have the, per- I was also like, this was like right when the time that, you know, the cold war was ending. Uh-huh. So Peter Jennings would do these programs where you would watch like high school students from Russia talk over satellite with high school students yeah, from America. Yeah, yeah, and I'm uh-huh, like, uh-huh. I want to be on that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be on that. Cause all, all of like the youth programs and, you know, I think that they had one on when the desert storm war happened mm-hmm. and, you know, youth talk about this and like, you know, all those after school specials. Yeah. What was like it the with the Linda Ellerby, um, that show on, uh, I think Nickelodeon, what was it called with the kids? It was like a news show. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I haven't thought about that in forever. I have me either. It just, it, and then, you know, yeah. where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, that's right. I used to love that. I used to love that fucking show. Yeah. So I think that those are things. And then, like, you know, my family is, like, Irish Catholic. So uh-huh. we're obviously obsessed with the Kennedys. Yeah, obviously. So yes. I, like, in, we went to, like, the Kennedy Museum when I was, like, five. Uh-huh. And so. So you're just in a political milieu. And you, and that is, like your interests were fed because of that. Yeah, and you know, you're And seeing, encouraged. Right, you're yeah. seeing this, you're seeing conversations about nuclear weapons and, you know, you have Al Gore with the climate and you mm-hmm. have, I remember the, re, I mean, all the media around Rio in, 90, in 89 mm-hmm. or 90, whatever, like it was 89 or 90, was the Rio environment, the big thing on with Rio. And like- What was, big thing with Rio? It was the big climate conference that ah, happened ah, in ah, Rio. Okay. Which as like a 10 year old, I was of course aware. <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. <laughs> aware of and locked in. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there, there was all of that. And like, I remember, um, you know, like I had my Lisa Frank traffic trapper keeper in history oh, that God. saved the earth. <laughs> yes. I still have it. Of course. Oh, and I actually, I wrote, um, I was trying in seventh grade. I wrote a plan to start an environmental club for the town huh. that was going to be like talking about, um, I have a picture of the, I'll send you a picture of the plan. Mm -hmm. It was an environmental plan that like wanted to talk about saving the earth, stopping racism and stopping drugs. Okay. Tied together. And I was like, oh. I mean, we can make I was connecting the climate and the racism back when I was (laughs) She was like, I was was in When I was 13. (laughs) She's like, I'll take that. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I definitely also saw that racism was, it was very prevalent. Like I, in, in between fourth grade and fifth grade, mm-hmm. um, I think this was the years, the cops murdered a, a black man on the street, maybe like five blocks from my house. Wow, wow, And wow. then there were riots. Mm, we in actually your town. were, yeah. So we were actually at our, we, my aunt, my great aunt would rent a cottage every summer for mm-hmm. herself. And then we would go up for like a week or two in upstate New York, near mm-hmm. Seneca Falls. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't in town at the time, but um, there was like, it, and I, I actually, I think a couple of years ago, I went, I, I went, and read the contemporary articles about it from uh-huh. 90. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize my town had like black bookstores that burnt during. I didn't, wow. I, I didn't understand like how much of Landis Avenue had uh-huh. like Afrocentric mm-hmm. stores. Yeah. Cause like being like nine or 10, it just wasn't, I mean, my things I cared about were like the toy store. Yes, you're sure. Exactly. <laughs> Cause like, I'm like, wait, the, was, the toy store in the mall was like what I cared about. Yeah, that's right. Huh. Um, but yeah, so like that part and then like, you know, hearing people's conversations around that, like when the school year started and mm-hmm. hearing people say that it's okay for cops to shoot people. And I'm, wow. like, I'm like, no. <laughs> when I had a friend from high school come over who was like, oh, I've never been to this part of town. Huh. She was from like the wealthy part of oh, town. Oh, and she thought your side of town was getting a little, uh. Like, yeah, like, oh, I didn't know people lived over here like this. Whoa. And this hmm. is like a standalone house. Right, like, it's like, ah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, so I think that that, and hmm. like, and like in high school we had, um, we put together a call, this is like such the 90s because of grunge. So <laughs> the same teacher that taught the viewpoints class, mm-hmm. she, her classroom was really cool. It had like a stage and like, you know, theater style seating. Mm-hmm. So then we started doing a producing a coffee house. So like hmm. once a month after school, we would have like poetry and music. Sure. And so my final project for that class was the first coffee house. So like I got my friends out of their classes. So mm. 
friends came into violin, other friends did piano, mm -hmm. other friends read from books. Mm -hmm. And so then that became a model for doing coffee houses ah, after school. Uh -huh. So we did that for, I think three, I think it lasted through the whole time. Like so sophomore, junior and senior year, mm -hmm. we had coffee houses oh, nice. and then we published, um, a, a coffee house newsletter. Yeah. We did like a book of the poems for the coffee house. Oh, nice. That's and I remember writing to an author who wrote, like, he had a poem about, like, here's to the kids that are different. Uh-huh. So I sent him, I don't know if it was a mail or if I, I forget how I communicated. Mm -hmm. Maybe email, because email was nascent mm -hmm. during that time period. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote back, like, you have permission to use my work. And oh, I nice. felt so grown up, like, <laughs> that I got permission from an author That's to right. reproduce, reproduce his work. work. For my, for my coffee house mm. yeah so that part so that was one thing so again like you know that high, high school like how, you know like it wasn't perfect by any means sure, but like sure, it sure. had these structures right that i mean there was an environment i wasn't in it but there was like shape students helping animal plants in the earth it's oh, like wow. the environmental club and uh -huh. there was you know an outdoor club where they went camping mm -hmm. so that everybody could kind of like find their their niche gotcha coming toward the end of high school when it was time for you to perhaps go off to college like was it your familial expectation that you go for sure yeah i mean i think i was told from the day that i was born i was gonna go to college okay that was just so that was never even a question just like yeah, yeah, this is how to... life goes uh -huh. yeah and then i just didn't i was just like whatever and then at that point i didn't no, this at the time because <laughs> I was in high school. I didn't know that loans had been deregulated and so I was just told to sign on papers. Not to be a hype beast or anything, but you do not, I repeat, do not want to miss part two with Melissa. Not only is her personal story of trying to survive wild as hell, for instance, she was threatened with arrest from one lender, what? Uh, but I also learned a lot about the Byzantine structure of our current student loan scheme. And most interestingly, I came away from our interview extremely optimistic about how the politics of the temporary parking lot are gonna get us cancellation, hopefully in 2022. Ooh. <laughs> you can head over to patreon.com slash what's left to do to hear part two with Melissa. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's left to do. Don't worry if you can't swing our Patreon at $5 a month. All Patreon episodes will be unlocked after 30 days. You can go to what's left to do dot com and subscribe to our email list to get notified of when episodes get unlocked. Okay, see you over on Patreon.